Hello everyone, welcome to Bring You Home the <laughs> God, come on, keep a straight face, Ben. We Jack and I have started doing the the pods, sort of being able to see each other. We sort of changed providers of our podcast service. So now we see each other as we go. <laughs> and um we now get a little countdown at the start of the pods, and it sort of suddenly gives me the yips, and then Jack it started laughing. Excitement, I find. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It makes me a bit it makes me a bit giggly, it makes me a bit nervous. <laughs> You Imagine know? if we actually did this live. I'd be, a, I'd be an absolute mess. Well, episode 100, mate, we're still aiming for that, right? Yeah. What, what, this is not far off what, like maybe, what are we at, 50, 60? No, can't be. That? Yeah, are we? Close. Anyway, how are you? Yeah, I'm all right, mate. I'm all right. As you can see, the room, we're moving stuff around. Buying oh, okay. It. So that's why it's a mess. Well, no, 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 it's not a met. It's just that I hadn't seen in your room, you've got a kind of Hello Kitty style. Is it a lamp? It's Miffy. Miffy, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Get, you know, get, your, uh, <laughs> get your facts right. Man. But it's the cross, like the cross lips thing. Yeah. I was like, I recognize that character. I think, what? I want to say Hello Kitty was actually like stolen off of Miffy. I think there's a bit of beef. Oh, yeah. really? There's actual yeah. beef? I think, I think so. <laughs> I wouldn't have a clue. Yeah. I'm not very sharp on this kind of stuff. Um, what, what's new? Have you got any goss? No, just uh, we've both watched the same very, very miserable film this week, haven't we? Should we do, like, we've got some great comments this week. Should we do the film before the comments or the comments before the film? What would you prefer? Let's do the comments first. Let's, 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 okay. let's, let's find out why we're shit from people on TikTok. <laughs> Yay. On. Right, you go first. So Herman Hale on YouTube um, had a comment for our Shining pod which was uh, driving up in the car on closing day. Jack is already thinking of killing Wendy and Danny. He's already thinking of killing Jack. Jack has a funny feeling when he looks at Danny. Jack to Ben, did you feel that? <laughs> that was meant to, that was that last bit was meant to be. <laughs> I've, done the, I've done the thing when Premier League footballers get sent a tweet, haven't I? <laughs> Can you tweet something Can you tweet? like Sorry, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm, got, I'm not on my A game today, mate. That's uh, <laughs> that's quite all right. I, I would ask um, Purdy to delete that, but I think <laughs> it's just wonderful. So I, do, I do you act- know, can I just take, can I tell you honestly there, just just to give you some insight because I've got I've got to do this. I was thrown by the fact it says Jack so many times throughout the comment because <laughs> you saw your name and it was just like. So they so because I just kept seeing Jack, 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 and then so I just naturally went on to saying Jack to bit and then. That's why I started almost trying to pull it back into my mouth as I was saying it's like, oh, I realise what I'm doing here. Yeah. (laughs) You know, do you know what one of the hardest things when you're when you're reading scripted stuff is like your brain goes into reading mode. It goes into like your signal really and I've had some um I've had some like just from past bits of work that I've done, I've had some feedback in the past that when I when I read out comments or script or whatever, I can sometimes be less kind of up and down and less engaged and energetic. And sometimes you just find yourself reading stuff. But then you're then the like the other problem that you have is that you start enunciating random words, <laughs> and, if, and if and if the grammar isn't right in a in a comment, for example, you read it out, and then you you're like driving up in the car on closing day, <laughs> and you end up just sounding like Siri or Microsoft Sam. That's a throwback. Uh, uh, yeah, that is that's one for the kids, isn't it, mate? One for the kids. That one. Have you done much of auto cues yet? No, I I hate them. 
Oh, the, 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 thought, the thought of them, honestly, it, it, like whenever I see them in, you know, TV, I was, I've been watching, um, what's the thing on Apple TV? The morning show. The morning show. Speaking of Steve Carell. And when you just see the autocue, the read, the speed of it, I'm like, man, that's, that scared nah, me. Not for me. And also I always go back to Bruce Almighty with that. When he starts changing it, and my tiny little nipples went to France. <laughs> we're we're um, not actually meaning to do all these Steve Carell segues, but they just sort of, you know, they're naturally phenomenal, isn't it? You know, when you just um, right. So back to yeah, Herman Hale's really point quickly. on The Shining. So there is a moment in the car. I went back and had a watch of this because I saw Herman's comment, and I was like, I want to just check this out. There is a moment in the car where Jack does this weird little thing. And it's really funny because I'm quite bad for this, not like thinking about killing people, but I'm quite bad for this. But you know, when something like really, and actually I know that you're bad for this as well, which is great. You know, when something really grinds your gears and you can't help it, your face just gives you away. And (laughs) I think your one is people loudly eating. Oh, is mate. it people loud is that your very one? much so it's the the lip smacking the noise of chewing chomping that <laughs> uh, is so and None like if jack, <laughs> if jack sees if jack sees people or hears it he can't unsee it <laughs> i remember this. there's been times in the past <laughs> Where I've seen you and your face sort of like half contorts and half, you know, sometimes when like you see like dogs will like notice something and their heads will sort of like turn to the side. You'll be like, I usually, I sort of bite my tongue a bit as well. I'm always like, (laughs) it's that because I'm like, I've got, I just can't. (laughs) Remember, like I was telling you before, the lad eating wine gums one by one in the cinema with his mouth open like a couple of seats down from me just nah mm, nah i I had one of i had one of those today in the cinema i had someone who clearly needed to cough but instead just did this weird death rattle from their throat (laughs) and was sitting about three rows behind me just going (laughs) and i was like that's the most grotesque noise and i And I did that, and I did that thing where you sort of sit there, and I sort of almost like tutted to myself and looked <laughs> me in a pitch black room. It's a period; nothing's going to happen. But I, it was almost like the the Brit in me just made myself feel better that I'd con- silently condemned that that person just clearing their throat. Anyway, so you do see in in the film; it's actually a very astute comedy. You do see in the film that. Uh, Jack, and this is going way back to our, our Shining pod, which was months ago, but it was one of our most popular ones, and people still get in touch about it. Um, you do see Jack already do that little, like, simmering kind of... Da- I think Danny's, like, just being a bit annoying in the back of the car, and you see it just... It's, like, gets on his wick a bit. He's like, I could just kill you, you little shit, sort of thing. And it, and it really... It, it's a really good observation, and I hadn't noticed that before in the same way. But equally, Danny has those little wobbles early on about Jack as well. Mm. Um, so, yeah, brilliant comment. Um, let's go on to the next one. One about uh, um, th- this was on Instagram. Adj Turner says about Iron Claw. Now, I still haven't seen Iron Claw. But he said 
There was an unsettling amount of close-ups of Zac Efron in tighty whities Great film, though. <laughs> uh, and and I think the question I'll go with here is, is there ever too much Zac Efron in tighty whities Is this film one of those occasions? Potentially. there's a, But, I mean, do you know what? I've got to say, if you're going to go and watch a film about professional wrestlers, you can't be overly surprised if there's going to be men in little pants in the, in the <laughs> film. Right. It was right. one of the things that I always found weird because you and I spoke a bit about this before, right? With with wrestling, I wasn't like massive into wrestling, and I don't think you were like massively, massively no. into it. But I do find it quite fascinating that we've got like some mutual friends. Um, we've got some mutual friends that both really enjoy wrestling, and there's something quite strange about about this idea that people sort of even into their 30s, 40s, they still quite enjoy the the men in pants. I like that you are very carefully trying to choose your words here, Ben, because you're like, maybe one of them will be listening and I don't want to offend them. Because <laughs> <laughs> you sort of started going down this road and then you were like, uh, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> but it's, what, it's, it's kind of, I still have trouble with it now in this. It's like, it's. An, I saw a clip the other day of someone getting really aerated because, um, a, 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 a TV reporter said, "Yeah, wrestling's fake in front of him," and he sort of like really got upset about it. And I was like, "But, but it is." I realise you're wham, and it takes a lot out of you, and it's huge impact on your body. But you don't actually punch each other, and it is still technically scripted. So, um, but to be fair, Zach Efron looked magnificent. I guess, but it's kind of what we were saying before, isn't it? It's the fact that they they are highly trained and they have to put in mad kind of dedication to their bodies, to the, you know, the agility required, the athleticism required to be able to pull off the moves that they are. I, I, I guess it is a type of sport in a way, right? It's kind of to call that fake it sort of takes away from what they're doing. Yeah. I think that's kind of why they get prickly about it. And it is, like you say, the dedication is unreal. Like the, the shape that Zach Efron, I know we mentioned this every week, but the shape that he's in for this is, is incredible. Um, uh, next one, fly in the wall theater said about all of us strangers. And this was on YouTube said it's a cinematic masterpiece. I, again, it's another one that I still need to see. But just off the top of your head, when we sort of use the word masterpiece or when we're getting into that kind of territory, what is it about this that is the thing that that makes it that special? I think it's just the... The, 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 the found a very, very... I think it's Andrew Hay, isn't it? The, the, the writer-director. Mm, yeah. um, let me just double check this now so the director's andrew hay i was just more looking yeah he did he wrote it as well based on like i say a, a sort of japanese ghost story by taichi yamada um i think what, what we've got here is it's a film that deals with a really heavy subject trauma identity loss um, somebody trying to find their way in life, like an adult that still has that kind of unfulfilled need that they had as a child and how much that still affects them. But it's, it's 
presented in such an accessible fashion. You know, like 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 I sort of saying previously um, of one of the responders to Komodo Mayo's podcast that was saying that you know you get so much more from this film if you're yeah LGBTQ plus, um, which I'm sure you do. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take away from that because I I don't know, but I would say as you know, being somebody that isn't, I still got a lot from that film. I got a real kind of universal human quality to that and it's so raw but it's just it's so accessible and it's presented in such a just a brilliant fashion it's a, it's a brilliant film it's it really is fantastic i still need to get to see that that's rubbish of me but um this week's was zone of interest we'll come on to that shortly um one final comment grism on youtube says uh of our american fiction review well of your american fiction review i should say ben as well Perfect review, that. Oh, there you go. you got a fan. Think you got it absolutely spot on, including about the ending. It's still currently ranked as the number one film I've seen this year. Um, best film of the year so far for you, Ben? Right. So I'm, that wasn't just me putting in a comment, someone blowing smoke up my arse so that I could glow. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was actually thinking this is quite an interesting point to make quite early on in the year because you were as far as we got to in Jan, you were still writing down every film that you've seen so far, right? Mm. How many do you reckon we've, we've probably seen about 10 films so far. Annoyingly, the, the thing I've written them down in is downstairs. So I don't actually have that, to hand, <laughs> which is kind of annoying, but I feel like American fiction is actually quite high up in that. I'm trying to think, has there been anything else that has really, I mean, we can kind of use this as a bit of a segue into Zone of Interest. I think Zone of Interest is very good. I don't think it was the best film of the year so far for me. No, I think we, um, I'm just trying to think, because like, are we falling? It's tough, isn't it? Because we kind of, we seem to play fast and loose with what's this year and what's last. Because well, American yeah, yeah, fiction yeah. is kind of last year, you know? Yeah, well, it was last year in the US. I suppose. Should we, should, should we just say from this point forth? that we are talking about uk scheduling uk scheduling um, yeah or technically or technically just any films that we've seen for the first time in 2024 of those i'm trying to work out whether i've seen a better film poor than things fiction. but we did we we saw the holdovers technically this year as well didn't we yeah poor things iron claws very good all of the strangers is brilliant um, I still think I, I did like American fiction. I still think, um, thus far, I think my best, I think my favorite film of the year so far has probably been all of the strangers or poor things, but I, I did. I really, really liked American fi- fiction. I did. Yeah. I think if the ending was better, I would be sitting here being like no brainer. But I think part of it is that Jeffrey Wright takes it up another level. Like he's yeah, so yeah, good. You know? He is phenomenal. I think if you have someone else in that role who's is mid, it's not as good a film. Mm. He just is fantastic. Um, and this is a great, I mean, it's a great segue for us because one of the films of the year, I mean, a film that has been nominated for a lot, did very well at the BAFTAs, nominated for some Academy Awards, Zone of Interest. Now, this is one of those wonderful Venn diagram crossovers where we've actually both made it to the cinema, yeah. both seen the same film, you take us away. What did you think of it? 
Uh, I thought it was very affecting. Um, for anyone that isn't aware, Zone of Interest is it's a film written and directed by um, Jonathan Glazer. It's it's set around Auschwitz. Um, it's following the life of Rudolf Hess and his family. Um, Rudolf Hess, who is a you know historical figure, was one of the um, arch demons. The Commandant, isn't he? That's the yeah. That's the title, I think. But one of the arch demons of the Holocaust, the Final Solution, um, the oft called efficiency with which the Nazi regime um, murdered millions of people, and the film doesn't. It's not Schindler's List. The film isn't showing you what happened in Auschwitz. The film assumes that the viewer has an understanding already of the horrors of the Holocaust and everything that took place. Um, what you are seeing is a portrayal of the man behind the monster, if you like, um, him and his family. And it's all put forward in this, we've used this term before, but in this very Brechtian fashion, you will have... His wife, for example, who has been gifted a fur coat from somebody who was in Auschwitz, trying it on in front of the mirror, looking at, you know, how nice she looks at it and everything, whilst in the background, you're hearing screams and gunshots from across the wall, um, because we all know what's going on in there, right? And uh, that's kind of follows, that's, that's the, the kind of theme of the film. It's talking about personal ambition it's talking about rudolf hess and his want to be recognized by the nazi machine by the fuhrer it's his wife um in archetypal fashion nagging him to get a better promotion um to work harder to impress the people at the top and all along, we know that when people are talking about working harder, be better at your job, it's murder more Jews, <laughs> you know? And it's, 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 when you, you, when you're watching this film, it's, it's very, very strange because you are watching a family drama of sorts, which is just all completely overshadowed by the horrors that we knew were taking place just the other side of the wall, just the other side of the wall of this idyllic, beautiful little family home with a wonderful garden, with a beautiful greenhouse. Um, the horrors that are taking place the other side of the wall. It's, it's just that, that stark ju juxtaposition on screen is, it's very unsettling. I found, didn't you? Yeah. I, 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 I mean this in a kind of a good way, if there is a good way. I found the film horrible. Like, I found it deeply unsettling. You know, I was sitting there watching it, feeling unsettled the entire time. And I um, I found myself thinking about the idea of things like, I don't know, uh, like depression or anxiety or um, being riddled with worry or concern. It always feels like everything you do, it, there's a cloud above whatever's going on in your life if you're fit if you're going through a really shit patch you could be kind of 
going about your day, but just with this constant feeling there's a cloud, a rain cloud over the top of you and it could start raining at any moment. And I felt like this film kind of invited you to basically try and invest in a family drama whilst the entire time there was the kind of metaphorical rain cloud, which is a very literal thing in this. They, They are literally living out their life with an ash cloud over the top of them with the remains of of dead people there's a there's a scene in this where they go for a, a paddle in a, in a lake and it starts raining and human remains are are sort of raining into the into the into the lake and and human remains have been disposed of into the lake as well um, and it's visceral and and kind of horrible and really affecting and of course really important at the same time. But the the reason why I really really I, I felt m- so moved by the filmmaking is because you find yourself in this very deliberate sense of discomfort. You're watching this couple have really normal conversations about things that you might have a conversation about of your partner. They're worried about how their kids are getting on. They're worried about what other people will think of their lifestyle. They're worried about whether their, their garden is um, well kept enough. They're worried about um, things like you said about clothing or they're worried about the food that they're eating and stuff. And, and all of these normal things are playing out. And it's almost like your brain you know, we spoke a little bit before about when you see an AI image, your brain finds it hard to process because you know that something's off. Mm. The entirety of this film, when any conversations happen about something normal juxtaposed against the sound of violence and unspeakable human atrocities going on in the background, just kind of shuddering beneath the surface, your brain does something to you while you're watching the film you can't be comfortable at all and then you feel this strange guilt at times when you start to find yourself drifting into the dialogue and thinking this this guy wants to try and look after his family life he's a very normal guy in so many ways just trying to keep his wife happy he has a dog I mean this is an amazing thing a part of the film there's a there seems to be a really clear intention to insert their family dog into as many scenes as possible to really drive home the message like, oh, look at that innocent little dog, you know? It's Mm. like that innocent little dog whose master is essentially the the devil, you know, is someone who's responsible for the killings of thousands of people every day. And I think that's part of the the reason why the film is so unbelievably powerful because it invites you to – feel a sense of narrative surrounding these lead characters in this family whilst at the same time constantly alluding with the soundtrack and the audio to the fact that there's these unspeakable horrors going on about 20 feet away from where they're living this Mm. idyllic life i had i think i had i had one issue with the film um So I get, I get it because a lot in the, the the press and everything before this has been made about this film being a showcase of the banality of evil, right? That this is showing that the acts that were so unspeakable, so horrific to us, were so commonplace, were so normalized within the Nazi hierarchy. There's a scene later on in the film when Rudolf Hess 
goes to speak to all of the other commanders of all the other concentration camps. It's basically like, you know, a concentration camp Avengers. They're all sat there talking about the best ways they've, what they've learned to do in all their- Round the grand table, and, isn't it? Very yeah, yeah. Like- and it's all, you could be sat there listening to, you know, IT salesmen all talking about their respective quarter and what numbers they'd racked up and if they had any tips for how to improve those numbers, so on and so forth. And you see Rudolf Hess doing this kind of nine to five job going back and forward from the office to his home. And it's, 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 it's all reduced to this very, very, you know, I don't want to say dull because I, I don't mean it dull in the con in, in regards to the film. I mean, dull within the context of the subject matter. Mm. It's, you know, it's not the, the, the bloody brutal side of the Holocaust. It is that, like I say, it's the pen pushing number toting side of this, which I totally get. I get that that was, you know, a directorial effect. It was showing that, you know, this Nazi machine that, and again, like, you know, the, the word efficiency is often used. It's oft lauded that, you know, the kind of German efficiency. I know people use it in a term today, but I do think there's a kind of grim kind of throwback to things like the Holocaust with this that people probably need to be a bit more mindful of um, when they talk about this stuff. My issue with this came, and and I do appreciate that, you know, the, the writer-director of this is Jewish. I am not. Um, and this is his perspective on this film. So I, I am very mindful of that. I just, I feel that when I watched this film, I didn't get the sense that there was a, pure and utter disgust for the Jews amongst the Nazis. There was hatred. There was a spiritual level of hatred behind what the Holocaust was. It was, you know, it was thousands of years of anti-Semitism combined with weird you know, Norse legends that Hitler and his people chose to embrace that all came into this strange, it came to such a point where, you know, we've seen say a film like Jojo Rabbit, where it's, it's parodied the, the, you know, the, the German child's response to a Jew. Ah, oh, you know, you're half rat and you're this and you're that, but this is what the propaganda did. And it wasn't just, it, the, the the machinations of this atrocity were fueled by a hate on another level. And I don't feel that I felt that from the film. I, and I, 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 I get that that's my kind of, I, I get that that's maybe not what the film was entirely trying to show. It was trying to show this kind of how normalized it had become. But the only person who I ever saw really say something particularly anti-Semitic was the mother-in-law when she yeah. came round and she said like, Oh God, you have a Jew serving in your house kind of thing as a, as a throwaway comment. Um, she sort of says as well, I, she's like, Oh, I wonder if my old neighbor will be in Auschwitz. Yeah. I really wanted her curtains. Yeah. When they, <laughs> when they did the street sale or the street auction of all of her possessions, but it's, I, I, and look, so the, here's where I kind of sit on that because I'm, 
I think what you're saying is absolutely, I mean, it's certainly spot on um, because you don't feel that visceral level of contempt that you that you know was so totally present from every kind of bit of history that is available to us that certainly seems as though that's very much the case um i guess the other side of this is that people will argue that, that it's a real marked point around the idea that it could have been that so many of these people that everyone just looked at and go, Oh, you're just so normal going about your life mm. and you're inviting people around to your house and they're kind of architects showing you a quite literal killing machine for being more efficient at terminating the lives of thousands of people at a time and being able to kill more people in one chamber whilst cooling down another one. So it can be ready to go again. Um, and it, it it makes a point the film certainly makes a point around um the normalcy of these people's lives or how particularly mm-hmm. Sandra Hula's character Hedwig she is the most hideous character in all of this because she's like it's just like we always dreamed about we're living a life that we always dreamed of with this amazing countryside setting and the kids can go down to the river and they've got great schools and they really cleverly include a little scene where one of the 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 children of Rudolf and and Hedvig Huss one of their kids is sort of adolescent and it shows them having a kiss with a, a girl behind the kind of house. So it, it it cuts away. You don't really know anything about the child. You don't know anything about the girl that he's kissing. It's just that it's maybe some family friends that have come round. And it keeps giving you these daggers and these barbs, these ideas that these people are getting to live a life of normalcy and they're getting to experience all these different things whilst in the meantime, 30 meters away children are being slaughtered on mass um and it makes you feel desperately uncomfortable but i i certainly agree it doesn't you don't see that level of contempt that we know was present you don't sit there 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 is no lines of dialogue at all um from christian friedel's character rudolf hersu who is this kind of very, very senior ranking official within the the Nazi regime, you never see him say anything disparaging or anything um, even in passing about the people that he's murdering. But maybe that was, maybe that was part of the, maybe that's a very intentional part of it that we, that we don't see any of that because the only real, moment that we get of him entering Auschwitz is on horseback and you don't get anything right the moment he goes past the gates we don't see a single thing it's very deliberate to I mean did you did you see the director on um or hear him on Komodo Mayo's pod this week I didn't know no so it's a really interesting interview um because his dad had said to him that he didn't want him to do the story he said like you just got to leave it I don't want you to touch it and and I'm not sure you should be doing it. And he's been trying to get the film made for 10 years. Um, and it was very, very deliberate. One is about wanting to use natural light and wanting to use um, 
either natural light or light that would have been present in the house. And they actually used the house. So the house that you're seeing is is the house alongside Auschwitz. Oh, wow, um, really? Yeah, so that's that's why it took so long to kind of get this get this kind of off the ground. Um, and it, it, I think, I think the 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 feeling that I came away with, if you take one scene in particular towards the end, he's standing over the top of a balcony, and he's sort of saying all I can think about. He's at a party at a function, and he's saying all I can think about is just what would be the most efficient way to kill everyone. And I th- in that moment, it just a tiny bit lost me because I was like, this is just a guy, like you're, you're showing this as just a guy that is just wants to be ruthlessly brilliant at his job. And I don't think it was just that, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think that that lets it go just a little bit, just a little bit too kind of, easy on i mean they paint him as this absolute monster hiding in plain sight right but i think that just that little bit didn't quite didn't quite do it for me like um, i say you know this was spurred on by a foaming at the mouth ideology that i don't think was present but i get that that's not the takeaway from the film uh, like what you're saying there the, t- the takeaway is the normalcy of the killing and how commonplace it became. Um, and it does show the way in which, you know, the Jews were dehumanized um, by, by the Nazi machine, just reduced to numbers, as you say, on a screen where it was seen as a greater mark of success to be murdering as many as they possibly could in as short a possible time. And it's, yeah, I mean, th- th- I think the main takeaway from the film is because I don't want it to seem like I am being negative towards the film because I, I do think it, I do think it's a brilliant film. Um, I think it's it's wonderfully. I mean, it feels like a weird superlative to use, but it's it is brilliantly directed. Um, from what I understand, is the uh, Jonathan Glazer set up cameras within this house um, and essentially just asked the family to just you know here's a scenario. There's going to be a, a party. Just go out and the part improv, part kind of scripted um, snapshots of this. Out. Nobody else on set, no crew on set, just cameras, almost like CCTV style set up within the house. It did feel a bit Big Brother house, didn't it? Yeah, for them all to act in. And I, the, 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 the effect is, it, it's very creepy. It's very creepy. It's shot on a very clean clinical digital film stock i would say as well i think mm-hmm. um which also does have a slight kind of like as we've spoken about with 28 days later previously there's a sort of cctv feel about it and i, I appreciate that cctv probably didn't exist in the form you know anywhere close to the form that it did now in the in the 1940s if it did at all um but you, it, it does leave this kind of eerie detached after the fact feel about it. Whenever I think of CCTV footage, I think of, well, we're going to have to watch back this footage of an assault, a bad thing happening in a town center after the fact, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's kind of how this feels. It's yeah. I think it's, it's brilliant performances all around. I mean, unsurprisingly, once again, Sandra Huller is just, you know, sensational, um, terrifying, and 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great film, I'd say. Go out and watch yeah. it. And definitely go and watch it at cinema because the mm. filmmaking is extraordinary. It, it, the, if, the, again, the sound design, right? Those those big stabs of that you're like, what is going yeah, on? It's you like know? mechanical whirring, isn't oh. it? And it's it is awful. And even just li- there's these um, amazing little w- one thing I will say really really quickly. One other thing to like in this film, so definitely the soundtrack, definitely the audio and the and the sound design. Um, there is these really nuanced little bits that creep into the film like seeing an older brother bullying a younger brother you know and it it drives this discomfort into you and you're like oh that even though the family's living this supposedly uh, idyllic life it is affecting them and you know that there's there's a scene where uh rudolph huss's mother-in-law comes to stay and she can't actually deal with being anywhere near what's going on and ends up leaving um whilst well, her when she's daughter, confronted with the actual horror of it right yeah but her daughter is just managing to block everything out you know she's a, she's living with the cloud she's like the cloud's there but just going to ignore it i've got a nice garden i've got a nice setup for myself um but yeah get out and watch it it's it's a, it's very much a must watch and a kind of a bit of it, it um it's horrible but so impactful and mm. i think it's it's one of those you sort of got to see and i would certainly say see it at cinema um sandra Definitely for me MVP have yourself a couple of episodes of your favorite feel good tv lined up for afterwards that's so fascinating you said that because my brain went to have some comfort food ready because mm. you don't want to eat whilst it's going on because you're mm. like this is just horrible but it's almost like you need a a twirl or something afterwards while we were watching this um just back to our sort of conversation at the start of the pod where we initially first sat down there were two like little girls that come in they must have been you know i think i think the movie's rated to 12a and i would assume Are you serious i think so i think wow. it was a 12a because Gosh. i don't think they were much older than that really um, they didn't seem that way. And it, it kind of got the vibe. We we caught this at like a 5.30 screening. Um, right. And it, it, we kind of had the feeling that they had just gone to the cinema and thought, oh, what song yeah. will sit in this? And like all throughout, they were just like talking and giggling and like chewing sweets and stuff. And we just were like, I've oh, got to move seats. We like we moved to another part of the scene because it's like you can't really have a go at like yeah. two little kids, and you want to kind of be a bit like you know, can you show a bit of respect to this thing that you're thing. watching? Like this isn't yeah. a laugh, you know. Yeah. Um, it's not you know, it's not Iron Man twelve. Do you know what I mean? Like just <laughs> kind of, this isn't the type of film that you sort of sit around and look at Snapchats on your phone in and things like that, you know? Um, But we just moved to another part of the cinema. because It it requires your focus. Yeah, it was not the vibe. Like getting annoyed and distracted at the same time by sort of people sat near you. Um, Yeah, it's it's strange, this one, because you come away and I would say that the storyline doesn't deviate enormously. Like the arc of the story doesn't go you're not zigzagging around all over the place but the kind of emotional side of it 
you find yourself just suddenly plummeting at times that like you are thrown all over the gaff with this rise and fall of, of the emotional beats of the film in a way that really is at odds with the actual storyline because the story's not moving all over the place and suddenly shocking you. Like you kind of know where it's going, but it does. Uh, yeah. It's very, very impactful. Um, should we do some uplifting stuff and talk about this week's film? Let's do it. You picked Dan in real life, which is a beautiful film. Why did you pick it? I picked it because I fancied a real tonal shift from the Lord of the Rings. I felt like something a bit more indie. I, as I said to you, I've been watching the morning show and I was like, you know what? I just want a bit more Steve Carroll. Carroll? Steve Carroll. What are we calling him, mate? Let's, let's establish <laughs> this. You know, I, not Steve Carell. No I, like, I usually say Steve Carell. Yeah, I, I go with that. Yeah. I want a bit more Steve Carell in my life because I think he is really, really good, actually. You know, I think it's, it's, it's one of those things that's actually, I've, you know what, I've not even really f- watched much of the US office and I know a lot of people love him from that. Um, I've watched, I think the first series I watched when it was basically the same as the UK one. And then I understand they completely deviated from that point um, and just made it its own thing. And I haven't watched any of that since then. Um, but just when I think about kind of like stuff I've seen him in down the years, 40 year old virgin, like you say, Bruce and Evan Almighty, even like his little cameo in Anchorman. We see, um, what's the one with Ryan Gosling? God, what's it? Crazy. Something. Stupid love. Stu- yeah. Like, it's just so much stuff that I think he's, I think he's brilliant. I really think he's brilliant. And it, like I say, it's not one of these things I've felt all along. I think it's one of these, I've always liked him. I've never had any issue with him. But I think it's certainly one of those things as I've gotten to this place where I'm older, I'm like, God, I, I really just enjoy watching stuff with him in. I really like him, you know? Like, it makes yeah. me feel good watching him in stuff, you know? I think he has this unbelievable range as well. I think there was a period in his career where he started doing these films that were a little bit smaller, but had really, really heartfelt messages at the core of them. Yeah. Um, Little Miss Sunshine being another one. Yeah where he is sensational in that carries the film in so many different ways that you can't quite imagine similar kind of character. I would say to Dan in real life. Um, there's another one that he was in with Kira Knightley, I think, which is a friend for the end of the world. I don't know if you ever saw that, which is a really lovely film. I, I feel like I have actually watched that, you know, it's but very, very forgettable well. in the sense that you go, you walk out of the cinema and go, Ah, oh, that's that interesting, you know, and, and like <laughs> major spoiler alert for for anyone that has any interest in seeing this film. Basically, the end of the world is coming and he's sort of trying to find meaning in his life whilst everyone around him is like, oh, my God, the end of the world's coming. And there's people that are hiring um, hitmen to kill them because they want to die before the world ends or there's people that are paying money to go out and buy a gun so they can murder someone because they want to know what it feels like before this apocalypse comes. And basically he manages to find a friend in an otherwise lonely existence. And that's kind of the arc of the film, but it it's really, there's a lot of really nice themes in it. And he just went through this period of doing really, really great heartfelt stuff and kind of fascinating that we were talking about, um, the zone of interest before this and and about setting up 
the cameras and, and the way in which the house plays such a huge part. I actually think it's quite similar in that sense in this, in that the house is very much front and center of mm. everything that's going on. And it feels as though, I mean, it, it, it actually very similarly in terms of the setup, the director set the, the cameras, everything was shot inside the house. So if there wasn't space, everyone just cramped in and just sort of crammed their way through and just made it work. And that's why you get this really intimate, lovely feel to it, because it does just feel like a family reunion, doesn't it? I mean, it it feels so much like turning up to a family weekend away when it's everyone's been like, oh, we haven't, had, we haven't caught up as a family in ages. Let's try and get some time in. And everyone looks at their calendars, eventually manages to squeeze in a weekend and you go somewhere in the middle for everyone and hire a big house or whatever. It has that lovely feel about it. Yeah. And it was just gorgeous. It was absolutely gorgeous. I really, really enjoyed it. It's that era as well. It's that era of movies, like you say, Little Miss Sunshine, the kind of those early 2000s movies that they look like, I would say now they look alarmingly aged, which yeah. Yeah. I didn't think, quite naively, I saw the thought, we're at a point of technology and whatever now that films aren't ever really going to look aged, you know? And then yeah. you watch this and you're like, God, it just, it feels like, feels like 2004, whenever, whenever the yeah. film came out around there. Haircuts, little bits of clothing, the way people yeah. speak, the dialogue. It's, it's, it's fascinating. How but, but that there's a certain, and I get it, it's probably like my own nostalgia from, you know, from remembering those days very well and stuff, uh, happy memories and things, but there's a certain sheen, to films from around that time as well. Do you know what I mean? There's a certain warmth to them. The warmth is a word that you used just then, which is really present in this film, like aesthetically um, and just tonally that I think that that era of film really, really captured, you know? Yeah. And it definitely does this. It definitely sort of plays with you, doesn't it? Because there's a lot of warmth in the film in terms of that really lovely familial vibe to everything that's going on whilst at the same time like kind of poking at some fairly dark themes as well well before we delve too far into this ben we've not been doing this lately because we've been doing the mammoth task of lord of the rings films but i think we need to bring back our old friend yeah spoil spoil the film gone whatever we're calling it <laughs> say something 60 seconds 60 seconds are you up to the challenge man? yeah yeah let's do it i'm i'm keen i'm All keen right. Let's, uh, let's whip out me uh, whip out me timer. Oh, you thought I was going to say something else then, didn't you? Um, you ready? I'm going to give yeah, you a three, two, one, and a three, and a purdy roll the music, and a two, and a one. So uh, Dan in Real Life follows Steve Carell, who's a journalist, who essentially is a bit of a problem solver in his columns. He basically takes on other people's issues and then uses anecdotes from his own life to help people understand what they should do in theirs to fix their problems he's got three lovely daughters but he's a he's a widower he goes on a family trip away uh, to try and kind of get some uh, feeling of himself back in with all his family who think that he needs a bit of time off whilst he's on the trip away he meets a random bookshop this lovely woman who he feels like he might be falling for turns out that woman is his brother's new partner we then go and see how Dan falls in love over the course of the next kind of week with his family at this lake house um, and and his brother 
finds out that he's kind of in love with his missus while they're caught sneaking a kiss uh, and then basically we're invited as the audience to try and work out whether Dan is actually a bit of a bastard or whether he's just found new love and true love once again. Nicely done again, Mr. Ben Haynes. Back with I a did. bang. It helps that you gave me the countdowns as we were going. Um, so, do you know, can, I, can I say that? I'm glad you said that because there's that little bit of me that's like, I'm trying to be helpful, but I also don't know if it'll just be annoying and like no, throw no, you no. off. It was it was really really helpful, very very helpful. Do you know? Um, do you know? I quite like those because you were like, and then blah 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 blah, and I was like, fifteen seconds, and I suddenly saw your face. <laughs> like, That's already fifteen seconds. I swear it was only about three. You know, Mate, <laughs> I've just had you said last week about this cast, and just while I was, I had the cast list up while I was doing that, so make sure I didn't sort of like scrud any of the names up. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Like when you're actually looking at it, you're like, "That's mental." They got Matthew Morrison is the policeman, the guy yeah. from Glee. You know the, the the music teacher from Glee, and I was like, I was trying to place it the other day. I was like, I know that guy, and then you're like, "What?" He was just a walk on in this. You have Emily Emily Blunt as as I've got to get this name right, Ruthie Pigface Draper, <laughs> which is just. The most wonderful uh, scene when they're talking about her and then she rocks up. Dane Cook, um, Juliette Binoche, Steve Carell. There is, it's just, it's Jessica Hecht. John Mahoney, you know, Fraser's dad. It's incredible. And right. So let's, I mean, let's get into the, let's get into this straight away. Um, Start me off with what you made of Steve Carell's portrayal of Dan and and his grief. Why don't we? I mean, we're introduced to this idea that he's a single parent straight away, but we don't get that much about his partner at all. Why it's, do you think that is? It's it's very interesting, isn't it? And that is that is for me. It's one of the big takeaways from this film. That a film that could be very very different tonally. Right. This is a film that is about grief. It is about trauma. Um, doesn't really, for want of a better word, wallow in that. Um, it treats this as, okay, so this terrible thing has happened to us, but now we as a family are very much in the looking forward stage. You know, it's almost like we've joined the family maybe a while after they've all had the kind of crying coming to terms of it stages of acceptance stages of grief they're now in the kind of let's look to the future stage of things at least that's how it kind of feels um because what you have is this guy dan who like you say he's he is this writer who is kind of you know he's sort of in in a way almost in stasis in his career he's, he's there's a bit of talk about him maybe having a promotion about ways in which he can do his agony uncle column slightly differently or whatever he does seem to be you know he does seem to be popular he does seem to have people that are genuinely invested in him and what he's doing but it doesn't feel like he is very fulfilled by what he's doing at this point in time um what it feels like though is when i watch this film is the portrayal of grief is is actually it's quite it's quite smart it's 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 less obvious than than the way you would do it. it it's almost like he the feeling i've gotten from this is that he has held his shit together 
to be there for the dad, for his kids, to allow them to grieve, to allow them to get to a place where they're better, to start getting better anyway, where they can enjoy their lives again, where they cannot be kind of weighed down by the death of their mother. And he himself has stayed in some form of stasis. He has not grieved. He has not even allowed himself to process this. And it's over the course of the film that it starts to become more abundantly clear to you, actually. It's almost like a bit like, there's there's a, there's a horrible, I've spoken to you about this before, there's a horrible old horror film called Rosemary's Baby, right? And it, it, it's deeply unpleasant in the respect that, spoiler alert, sorry, it was came out in the 1970s, but you start to realize over the course of the film, bit by bit, that actually every single person is in on this plot to get Rosemary. And it's, it's, it's very well done. And it's so horrible. You've even got all these kind of nice characters that are dropped in throughout the thing. The kind of twist at the end of it is that everyone is out to get her. With Dan in real life, it's almost kind of like that in so much as you realize towards the end of the film, everyone in his family that loves and cares about him knows that he's fucked up and knows that he's not dealing with it and hasn't dealt with yeah. it. Yeah. And everyone is kind of on eggshells around him. And you only start to realize that as the film draws on, you're suddenly like, oh, it's not that nobody cares. It's that everyone cares so much. They don't really want to force him to confront this thing in his life that you kind of feel he hasn't really processed. Yeah. You get that, you get that drip fed throughout his mum says, go and take a break. You need a break. Go and get the papers. And then he's like, no, I don't, I'm fine. She was like, it wasn't a request. Yeah. And, and like, it's such a good like mum kind of way of doing yeah, it. Is that, and the way she says it, it's such mum voice. We've all been it? there, right? Brilliant. Even well, when you're a grown man, even when you're a grown man, when your mum says things to you in a certain way, you're like, yeah. Understood. Okay. Understood. Yeah. I'm a mo yeah. Um and I love what you said about um the way in which grief is processed because this to me when I was watching it back I weirdly enough I remembered that I have seen this film. Like I, it, it was so strange because yeah. when you said it last week, I was like I know the cover of the DVD is him with his face on some pancakes. You said that to me straight away after we stopped recording, didn't you? You were like, is that the pancakes? The face yeah. on pancakes? And I, like, right? I know. Yeah. I know. And I was like, I think I've seen this film because I went through a phase of watching films with Steve Carell in when Steve Carell was the 40 year old virgin and, and was in these kind of like funnies, you know. And I think I, I took this film out and I, I borrowed this film from wherever I would have borrowed it from. And I think I borrowed it thinking Steve Carell's really funny. The cover of the DVD is him with his face and some pancakes. This will be laugh out loud. Yeah. Um, and it sort of came back to me bit by bit, sort of waves of it came back to me. And there is very funny moments in this. Don't get me wrong. This is a funny film and it's light, but it's also got, it's got real substance to it underneath. It's got a lot going on there. It's kind of a bit of a swan, right? In that it's kind of gently easing through these different set pieces whilst pedaling really hard under the surface on a lot of like really quite hard hitting stuff. Um, mm. And like you said, with the grief angle of this, it is showing you, or at least I think making the point that grief is, you are always now going to be the only one that makes the sandwiches. Grief is that your 
not going to have someone to lean on when your daughter is getting involved in a relationship with someone way too early for your liking and there's no one to stand there and level you out and be like, it's all right, calm down. You're just there trying to handle it on your own. Grief is you being the one trying to make conversation in the car. You're always the driver. And I think the one that hit me the hardest, which is actually, I think, one of the opening scenes of the film, is grief is waking up on your own, turning over, looking at the other side of the bed, and then still having to sort of summon the strength to go... Mm. Uh, on with my day and I think this is why it's such a great film is because you get these little tiny nuggets in there that show you as you say that this guy's just not okay you know I I think off the top of my head when he wants to take his daughters out to have a bit of time with them because he's feeling a bit overwhelmed and none of them will come with him so he takes the kids out then brings them back and then he gets told off because he didn't say, oh, I took the little ones, <laughs> you know. It's when he sits there to play the guitar and um, one of the characters says, oh, he hasn't played since, but then doesn't finish the sentence. Yeah. It's all these little really carefully crafted um, moments that just kind of are seeding this information to you, which is amazing. And there's some stuff that I, I'll get onto later on, which I think is fascinating around the direction of the film and, and why there's some really cool bits in there. But we also get this really nice idea of love and this idea of what it's like to meet someone again when you're in that headspace of no, well, I'm just being strong for my family and I'm just going to... And then you meet someone that just kind of knocks your socks off a bit. Yeah. Like, wow. The bookshop really, scene, yeah. Wasn't really ready for that. And what's happened? Yeah. Suddenly, it's such a... Those two, it's like two players in really good form, that, isn't it? How that good scene? is their chemistry in that scene? It's like, very... Even the it? shower scene, yeah. you know, they they just are clearly just two people that just have got a natural brilliant chemistry you, you can tell she finds him hilarious as well yes yes very much so and also that that he's that on like that he's sort of has an admiration for her as well i mean i watched all of the one of the amazing things about this sorry i've got a bit of a role here one of the amazing things about this is because it's a film that is just quite nice and it's not by any means a film like a a Marvel film where it's going to shut down the cinema for 12 weeks. There's not, not huge amounts of press around it. There's not loads no. and loads and loads of interviews. There's just a few nice junkets that still exist that show them talking about each other. Um, and there's a really nice kind of hour long featurette from the DVD extras, which shows you a bunch of deleted scenes and then a bunch of interviews and kind of like the making of, which is really gorgeous. And you're so right that the scenes that they show you that are sort of just the making of Steve Carell um, is a, in obviously brilliant form, but Juliette Binoche is, is they, they have such a, they're just laughing at each other a lot. And there's just this, again, I use the same word again, but this lovely warmth just emanating out of all of their scenes, um, which, which is fantastic. But we do get this idea that there are these two adults that are acting like total kids, particularly Steve Carell. On, he's instructing his daughter to stop getting so caught up on this doe-eyed, puppy love, ridiculous behaviour 
whilst at the same time showing exactly the same behaviours. What I really liked about this film as well, like in terms of the directing, going on the bookshop scene, is I like that it is almost like they parody the rom-com in the respect that they've had the scene, they've had the meet-cute, if you like, of him walking around, pretending he's the bookseller, picking out all these different books, puts down this pile for her, and he tries to explain like why he's chosen all these books. And there's almost that little bit of you is like, this is quite nice, but that's kind of lame. Like, how would he know what books wear and all this type of thing? And then he's just like, oh, I, I was just picking out random books. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> they just kind of address that. They almost like, they almost lampoon one of the kind of tropes that you'd see in a rom-com, right? And it's, it, yeah. I think little bits like that are really nice. And they, they add a, a real level of authenticity to, to not only to their love, but just to the film as well. Yeah, and and it's I think it's more believable for it, and it's a lovely twist as well. The the way that they get around the idea that you would just say straight away, "Oh, by the way, that's the slamming hottie in the in, in oh. quotation marks that I met at the." It's at excruciating, the though, isn't it? Yeah, and then you realise it's just going to go further and further and further. Um, because you know, you said you'd already seen it. Did you remember that twist? When you rewatched yeah. this time, yeah, okay. I did, and and but that was nice. It it wasn't yeah. a, like a, oh, that's a shame. It sort of was unfurling. It was kind of coming through bit by bit, and I was starting to remember all these lovely moments. Um, I, I want to sort of set you off on one here because I think you'll probably have some amazing right. stuff on this. What did you make of that idea of the family coming together? And everyone just kind of going into, I know we've spoken about this before, but the kind of weirdness of your family and everyone just being a bit, not your family, but everyone's family. Like, <laughs> you know you, you know how we, everyone's family is weird. And if you were just picked up and dropped in another family setup, you'd be like, what is all this mad, weird crap that you're doing? It is kind of lovely the way they portray it. It's it's so well done, isn't it? Because like you say, you, got, you do have Juliet Binochet there who is, in the midst of this okay so this is what we're doing the girls go off this way the boys go off that way and we're all solving the crossword at the same time this is kind of weird and i feel kind of uncomfortable because i'm one of the outsiders but also i'm kind of here for this i kind of yeah, like i'm down like, i want to do yeah. the crossword i kind of like what they're up to here like my family wouldn't ever do this but i can kind of lose myself in this scenario do you know what i mean and we've yeah. all we've all had that sort of position you know when there are certain because it, it is quite interesting again to turn things on their head in that way in that we're so used to seeing the dynamic of the outsider coming into a new familial unit and being really like whoa this is so weird but what you don't see because we've all been there in some respects we spoke about that at christmas but what we also have that probably isn't portrayed enough on screen is that almost uncomfortable feeling when you go into someone else's familial unit and you're like i actually kind of prefer the way they do that thing <laughs> do you know what i mean like and you're kind this of like, is really good yeah so's mum and dad but i kind of think they've they've beaten you on this one they've nailed do you know what i mean one. but it but it is like it's so cleverly done right because it's all of this stuff that you see so i'm trying to think off the top of my head the kind of set pieces in that you've got the american football game the crossword <laughs> they do the the meal time where the kids sit on one table and the adults sit in the other room which we the aerobics to. class first thing the in the aerobics morning. class which is just brilliant it's, i can't wait to talk some more about that in a bit um and there is all these kind of uh 
yeah, they're, you, they're probably not set pieces, but they're almost like run of service. They're almost like order of play for a family getaway. Yeah. We've always got to do the X thing. Then we've always got to do this Y thing. And, and seeing them bit by bit, you are like, oh, this is a really nice family. This is a really cool family that, that has a lovely unit about it. Um, and I'll give you some great blurb on this. When I was sort of watching this, um, the creation of this the film um and there's an interview with peter hedges director uh talking about wanting to make a family and so he invited everyone to the house about i think it's like 10 days before the film started or two weeks before the film started and just said i just want everyone to live in this house and spend loads of time in this house and become a family just get to know each other talk to each other do random stuff he created the 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 sequence where they're kind of all doing their talents the talent show he did as an icebreaker he created that first so that they would have this really awkward kind of mawkish sort of silly they're all gonna make a bit of a fool of themselves and then it would bring the walls down and they'll just be able to be themselves around each other and so really quickly he tried to make a uh a family unit and so like i said at the top he's shooting in the house he's just kind of leaving people to do their thing in the house whilst at the same time having the cameras all set up and able just to sort of almost watch on watch your family just go about their business now what was really cool is that steve carell was the only one that couldn't make it uh early everyone else made it early and and able to was able to spend that time together and become a bit of a family um so what they did, what he did to try and get them uh, up to speed with Steve is he had the three girls, his three daughters, sing We Are Family and do a karaoke cover of Sister Sledge's We Are Family nice. for him, which is obviously, you imagine you're doing it for Steve Carell and you're three young actresses and you're like, what am I doing here? And yeah. uh, he, he said, Steve Carell said that it just brought, just brought it within two minutes he was like right I'm your dad I'm your dad this is hilarious <laughs> I'm enjoying watching you but also feeling a weird sense of pride already and he was just like I just knew then that I was dad um which is awesome and and I I think that's I think you feel this in in the film you feel this sense that they are a, a family there's a real unit there and I think that talent show is such a clever such a clever way of of doing it you know um and just to come back to one tiny thing that you, you said there before about how when you're with your family everyone gets together and and there's an unspoken understanding um around when someone's a little bit off it or when someone's not quite right and the, it reminds me so much of the fact that when you're not quite right you, and you're in the group situation of like 20 of you there's just this weird ring that you put around you just sort of do the thing i don't know if you've ever seen that um that video of what elephants do when one of their the young ones is sort of injured or whatever they just all go around in a circle and you definitely get that in this film this idea that they all just like we need to give him a pass he's not right we'll just create a circle around him um and we'll kind of even when he starts cracking on to his brother's missus they just kind of like is the way his daughter's like just call it dad yeah 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Alison Pill, isn't it? She's brilliant in that. Like they're kind oh, of fantastic. The, the more knowledgeable kind of older older sibling. Yeah, really excellent delivery on that. It's 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 a little bit reminds me a little bit of that uh, Gunther line in Friends. This is a family place, put the mouse back in the house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 really really nice and um, so they, they do they, just in terms of that familial unit as well they really do capture that thing that when everyone gets back together brothers sisters all that type of thing everyone just regresses don't they you yeah. know you do we spoke it's about this at so christmas cool. time it doesn't take long before you're telling like the stupid old jokes or doing the silly old voices and impressions or and, and even also on the negative side bickering and so two amazing things as well is that there's some really good improvisation in this so some of the best bits of like family improv that just appear like they're written lines are things that they just did spur at the moment that really kind of nail the idea of you being there with your family like, you know when you know when uh, marie sort of disappears she's like i can't stay here Like this is not right i'm leaving and Dane Cook goes out and tries to reason with her. He's like, please stay. Like, just, like, just, it's fine. Like, it's all right. We'll just, and then she drives off into the distance. And then he comes, he sort of kicks the leaves and then goes marching towards the house. And then she goes, Mom! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is amazing. And then um, Steve Carell's sitting at the table and they're, they're being insufferable. And you, you know what this is like as well, because every family has had to deal with this right when we all go through that stage of having a first girlfriend or a first boyfriend and if you're a little bit older you're like oh, i'm gonna go and throw up like just calm yourselves down but you were that age once right and then um <laughs> steve carell just looks down at his plate and goes this corn is like an angel yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know we speak about corpsing <laughs> There's a they've got a behind the scenes video of him saying this corn is like an angel, and then the camera's looking at so many like four or five people like <laughs> tensing so hard not to explode. <laughs> this corn is like an angel, amazing. Um, but but yeah, I, I I wanted to ask you this question: Was there any part of you while you're watching this thinking Dan's actually being a bit of a knob, like he's actually a knob? It's difficult, isn't it? Because sort of, but I think they do just enough to show you. You get the vibe, number one, they've casted Dane Cook, who at that point was a bit of a heartthrob, right? Yeah. And he's a massive douche. Uh, so you kind of get the feeling that he's probably just a bit of a player and he's probably not that asked about her because... Yeah. You know, there's that kind of thing where she's like, well, actually, no, I prefer to be called Marie. And he's just, yeah, he keeps calling us. What was it? Annie, he calls her, doesn't he? And she's like, I actually prefer to be called Marie, but still, he's like, no, no, no. Um, <laughs> so I, I kind of, I think they kind of do just enough to make you realize that Dan, having gone through what he's gone through, kind of has a, has a different level of affection for her and a, a different feeling for her where, you almost as if you were given a pass, you know? Yeah. And there's that sequence, isn't there, where, where he's like, oh, don't read my book. Yeah. Because he realizes that Dane Cook's character has been 
Mitch, I think, is has been using all of his lines. Yeah. <laughs> She's using yeah. everything to sort of. But again, I like how the audi- as the audience, we find that out at the same time as Marie's character does. Yeah, you know, it's it's a nice little revelation because it shows you that Dan isn't being like, "Oh, that's mine," you know. Yeah, and he, he he has that great bit where he's like, "I'm going to make myself." incredibly unattractive to you <laughs> and it's, <laughs> it's so well delivered and then they have the the shower scene and it's like the way that he's sort of holding his hands over like is it, he's got like a flannel over his eyes or something and then the physical comedy of him climbing out the window and then falling down the wind like in front of the window it's, it's good isn't it oh man it really made me chuckle in a really kind of made me chuckle in a way like I was watching my family. Not that these are things that my family does, but you no, I know what you mean. Laugh at like an uncle kind of tripping over and falling over it. Like, you know, when you're sitting, it might be Christmas or Easter or whatever, and you're all sitting inside and everyone is kind of, um, they've, they've ju- just eaten too much. And, uh, you're all kind of like just sitting there sort of like dozing or just chatting or you, you've broken off into small groups and then everyone will kind of be like what's uncle blah 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 doing outside and he's like oh he said he wanted to go and quickly fix the whatever it is and then you'll be like right and then everyone suddenly is kind of engaged by what they're doing and then he, he might fall over or something and he doesn't realize that the entire family inside is watching on yeah, yeah. and he's absolutely howling and he's sort of like brushing himself off or whatever, but that you can so totally see when you watch this, you can so totally go, oh yeah, that's that could be my family, that could be that, that could be my setup at home, you know. It's brilliant, isn't it? it? It they they do nail it, and like like you say, just even those little touches of like the kids are on a table in this room, the adults are on a table in that room, the way. I don't know, just the way the food is all served and everything, it really makes you feel at home. It makes it reminds me of, like I said, I always talk about like the sort of Christmases I used to have with all my family when all sides of the family would go up and all converge at my grand's house kind of thing and everyone would be there. Yeah. There'd be kids everywhere. There'd be different adults. There would be, you know, your uncle kind of having one too many kind of scotches after dinner. <laughs> and it was just, you know, it was, it, it was nice. And it, it's, it's nice to kind of be welcomed back into that kind of bosom, if you like. Yeah. But it is that, isn't it? It's right yeah. into the kind of like, it's, it's, it's like a massive hug with everyone in. It's a group hug. Um, yeah. Can we talk about some of these sequences? How good is Emily Blunt as Ruthie Pigface Draper? She's brilliant. She is absolutely brilliant. I've got to say, the um rather cynically where did i because I, I watched this on you know like amazon's new ah oh, 3d oh, is it called 3D. now this is a bit annoying and I, I i will i think we should do this here because it's important to do yeah have you signed up for this thing it's like you're already paying for a streaming service and they're like would you like it without adverts you can now pay an extra three quid a month no, it's bollocks. I think Netflix did it the right way in so much as here's the going rate. If you want to pay a bit less, you can, but there's going to be adverts. You can't implement adverts at, a, at an already paid for rate, right? Especially when you're Amazon. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you are literally Amazon. Do you need the money? No, I don't think you do. 
so I watched this on the same service you do, and it, it, you did, and it's it's basically broken up the film into sort of six parts, five parts yeah. with ad breaks, two minute ad breaks. Can, can I can I say one thing though about that? Even though I do agree in principle that that's shit, <laughs> there was something. There was a weird, like welcoming nostalgia to, to watching film. films on like oh we got to stop for the ten o'clock news, <laughs> you know. Like there's something, there was something kind of retro and like it added to, like we're talking about this kind of the, the effect of this family situation. Again, it reminded me of watching films on the telly on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know. I do know what you mean. That is such a good point, actually. That and was ca- sort of kind of nice. Because the, the first time it happened, I was like, I'll piss off. And then I was like, I don't actually mind this actually, you know, I'm going to get some more teasers. Yeah, now I've got three <laughs> minutes to go, get up, stick the kettle on, and, you know, it's all right. It's, it is interesting because I watched this for one of the other films we had recently, and I was kind of a bit torn. I think it's all down to viewing experience, isn't it? I was watching one of the films on a, on an iPad on a train, and then it, it started then glitching mm. because because it then has to refire the yeah the stream whereas up with this one i was watching on tv at home so it was actually not too bad at all anyway ruthie pigface draper why did it make you think of that because on that on that service the thumbnail they used for dan in real life was just emily blunt (laughs) 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 number one i couldn't i didn't even remember 101 yeah yeah (laughs) And I didn't even remember that Emily Blunt was in this film. Neither like, did I. I was trying to remember where she comes in. Yeah. And then she sort of like erupts into the film, doesn't yeah. she? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a really good character. It's a really good character. I've, I've got to say, I love Emily Blunt. Her American accent was awful in this. Though. Dreadful. She was barely even trying. She just yeah, sounded British. It was like, just a bit weird. Is that a weird? Yeah. But, but she's so likable and yet absolutely yeah. detestable at the same time <laughs> it's re- and the way that done, you sort of I, I was i was sitting there kind of head in hands watching the dancing i was like this is so uncomfortable and awkward and weird and i can't stop watching it <laughs> you know it's really really bizarre but it's like she was the, the way that they've done this was another great thing with the family unit they do this sledging of of each other and that they start singing the song about her and be like, yeah, you'll love it. You'll love it. You'll love it. That would be great for you. Ruthie pig face. This little piggy. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. And then they, and then suddenly they sort of find themselves completely like, Oh, she's actually super hot. Yeah, Emily I Blunt. love it because like <laughs> Judith Vinachet's character, Marie, she gets so jealous as oh, well. She gets so rattled, doesn't she? So rattled. Especially, and I, I love Steve Carell's face when he's like, we're going to go for a drive. And he just sort of looks <laughs> over like, you know, <laughs> sort of with his eyebrows raised. He just right? had to watch the salsa thing, which yeah. is like, again, equally, equally horrible. Um and so another little another little sequence. Actually, do you know what? I'll chuck this in now as well. It's one other little thing that I, I really, really enjoyed that I saw that um, uh, Peter Hedges said. He said that he, a lot of the um, film was a sort of tribute to his dad because his dad was a single parent and he saw how hard it was, particularly for him at nighttime, 
and there's a lot of inclusions of those those things at night you know everyone's going to bed the family are heading off to bedtime and <laughs> and when you're the when you're the one who's the kind of single one oh you've got the basement room with the washing machine yeah. so you get it's so those, brutal isn't it it is and the, do you know what's mad is that we again i don't know about you but i've certainly been in that situation where it's been like well you're turning up as a single one to the family event, so you're gonna get you're gonna get the the room at the back that's the utility room and is yeah. barely room to lie down in, and like we've all been out um, walking all day, so everyone needs to dry their like stuff off. So you're gonna get ill tonight because the clothes will be drying in your room. So cool, cheers, thanks very much. It is brilliant. I, I do love that. I do love those little touches of it because it's just it's also because it just adds to that thing of like he's bottom of the pile right it's as low as it can get for him he's not only is he single and at his mum and dad's house he's the kind of teenager in the kind of yeah. wank dungeon at the bottom of the house <laughs> his partner know? has died and he's somehow found a way to sink lower like he's, yeah. he's managed yeah, yeah. to go even lower than that and be like just to add to the indignity of this situation you're gonna be in and amongst the tumble dryers <laughs> down you go on this horrible little bedspread how uh how much do you love the whole sequence between the father and i was just trying to look up what her name is there um cara so Brittany robertson's character cara with her boyfriend and S steve carroll's kind of policing of that whole situation what is the name of the boyfriend i need to find this it's cara and uh marty come back in two <laughs> years marty <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's so fantastic. He is brilliant. I love her. Uh, you are a murderer of love. <laughs> what an amazing turn that is! Is it, it those little those little bits? Uh, does someone say to him later on, like, when do you think you became a murderer of love? Like, it's <laughs> of, you know, as well, at a family function, that would become a bit of a catchphrase. That would yeah, become yeah. a buzzword. And that would stick with you for 20, 30 years. Kids and, would always say something like that, wouldn't they? And yeah. Like, suddenly when you're the kid and you get a bit older, you get to like your mid thirties, you'd be like, God, I hope nobody remembers that I said that thing. We, yeah. we have that, like, we have that in our family. We had um, uh, a, a, a 50th birthday. It got a bit, it got a bit sort of, everyone got a bit loose and started having drinks. And we went and raided my uncle's old school liquor cabinet. Yeah. Um, and it was, <laughs> oh, this is, ah, he won't listen, it's fine. We, we, um, we went and raided his old school liquor cabinet. And you know that your uncles always have the most incredible stash. Yeah. You go in and you think like, whiskey where, now, where have you picked this up from like yeah. where's it this is from a holiday to greece back in like 2001 or whatever yeah. this one's got bits of stuff floating in it like what <laughs> on earth possessed you to buy this no one ever had any intention of drinking it and we we're at a 50th birthday and i was at university and me and my kind of there was five or six of us around my age in our family and we were very much in the drinking phase of university yeah and so we started going through the cabinet. We're like, right, let's all have shots then. And our kind of older uncles were not able to accept the fact that the young ones had kind of reached this point where they were going to be the ones drinking. Yeah. So my uncles started trying to keep up. And um, 
I just remember vividly the next morning waking up to finding one of my uncles crouched over the toilet, <laughs> <laughs> hurling up his guts. Oh, no. And then and then his missus coming in and being like, do you think I need to drive home? You know, and so, like, <laughs> so it's now like a running joke in our family that would just be like, oh, are you sure you should have that drink? Are you sure you'll be able to drive later on? And it's sort he of loves that as well. Yeah, it's one of those things that just sticks, you know. It's, yeah. it's a really like, um, you see so much of that in this film or those little private jokes and things they've managed to, they do that really well. They've they managed to make you feel as if this is a proper kind of, built in this has been they've been doing this for 20 30 years yeah. you know, which is a real feat like it's a really impressive thing to do i th- i think one of my favorite scenes in noise i know we're going to talk about the guitar scene in uh in isolation but before that i guess this will tee it up quite nicely actually is because we were talking at the start about not seeing much in terms of his grief about him dealing with this about him processing it because we have seen so much of that throughout the film we're kind of feeling like okay so the tone of this film isn't one that's going to be kind of wallowing in anything it's not going to be allowing us to be all sad about what's going on here the little kind of subplot of lily trying to grab him all throughout to say i made something for you dad i made something for you and he's like yeah 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 all right lily yeah yeah yeah, all right and he kind of finally gets to that point when other people step in they're like you keep ignoring lily she needs Stop to show you something. Yeah. And you go and you it's the first moment you see the, the the face of the mother, I think. You see this little tribute that's been made. It's the first time you see the girls talking about it, addressing it. And it's the first time you see it suddenly get him, you know? Yeah. And that hits you like a ton of bricks. Yeah. Because the, the tonality of the film has been so, like, jovial and everything. And you're kind of like... Yeah, his wife died, but he's kind of over that, right? Yeah. And it's that's the moment when you're suddenly like, "Ooh, you're a, wow. you're acting like a kid." Yeah, you know your behaviour is like childlike, and it's taking your family to level you to yeah. absolutely, level. and it does. It sledgehammers you, doesn't it? You're suddenly like, "Oh man, now now this it's so cleverly, sparingly used that when it is then presented to you, because we're all." we're all completely oblivious at that point, aren't we? What she looks like. That's yeah. that is the first time that we see her face. And then suddenly you put a face to the idea of that grief. What you realize though, as well is that, you know how at the start I was saying that all this time he has been probably the support system for his family. He hasn't allowed himself to, to grieve. He hasn't allowed himself to, whatever to be sad to be upset because he's had to be there for his family he's had to be there for his daughters to support them and i think he suddenly realizes in that moment they need to see me grieve they need to see how much this is hurting me that i'm not some callous dickhead i might be a bumbling dad but actually i'm a human being that's been really fucked up by this thing that's happened to me and happened to all of us but to me it's really fucked me up and he they almost i think he realized that they needed to see that side of him they needed that um because maybe in some ways they felt cut apart from him maybe they felt 
why does this hurt us so much and it's never really bothered him kind of thing. There's also a permission thing there, right? And yeah. they're then free to be like, no, this is brutal. Yeah. This is absolutely horrible. We don't just need to crack on and just get over things. Yeah. Um, and yet, weirdly, at the same time, his behavior mirrors so much his, his uh, daughter who's cracking onto Marty, um, <laughs> uh, Cara. There's so much of it. It's amazing watching the way that it really subtly, sometimes subtly, other times not so subtly, kind of just shows him just flirting with someone in the way that 14-year-olds, 15-year-olds do at house parties. It, it, it was really, really interesting. And then suddenly in that moment, it's just like, wow, okay, what on earth have you been playing at? What have you been doing? And then they give him the permission to kind of go, you know what? Go and do your thing. You've you've got to do this. Um, yeah. you've been our dad for long enough. You yeah. need. You've got your own life. You know, it's such a good scene. It's brilliant. Such a good scene, and it's really c- carefully played, isn't it? And that they just seed in those. Dad, I've made something for you. Dad, I've made something for you. I think it's three times. Just chipping away, chipping away, and as an audience, we're sitting there going, "Ah, oh, come on! This is this is the good stuff. It's crucial." to be there um the, the, uh, you've kind of teed me up on it but the 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 guitar scene the let my love open the door i've i've been humming it all week i've had it on spotify different versions of it and it one it's just such a banger of a song that i'd completely forgotten about yeah. such a lovely little song but i think it's also quite crucial in that it shows that actually Mitch is really a bit of a house of cards. He's, he's sort of like, well, or he made a matchsticks, you know, he's kind of just not quite what he's presented. You know, he's not being the authentic version of himself and he's better off with Ruthie Pigface Draper anyway. Yeah, he's be- <laughs> that's, that's his thing. You know, he's, he's fine with that. Um, and you sort of see how much it means to, to to Dan and you see what it means to be actually vulnerable whereas to Mitch it's all just a bit of a laugh yeah you know he's nervous but just a bit of a laugh and it's like Ugh. and then I think as an audience at that point we are prepared I th- I think that might be the tipping point when we're prepared to accept that even though he's being a bit unfair to his brother it's like you know what this is not it's probably better that it's you rather than the Mitch anyway yeah. And I do think as sorry, go on, go on. No, no, I was just uh, I'm just agreeing with you. Yeah, I just I think it, it's it's very affecting that last bit when they've all clapped and he's kinda like, No, there's another verse to go and it's yeah. the really hard one. It's the really sad one. Yeah. And he really struggles to get through it, but he gets in. You just feel that. Like Steve Carroll's performance is just amazing, I think, in that part. Yeah, he's he is phenomenal in this. He's really, really good. And I will also just say very quickly, um, he's the king of dad dancing. Uh, I've watched back the yeah. Little Miss Sunshine dance scene <laughs> at the end as well. If you haven't seen Little Miss Sunshine, watch that film. It is it's very similar to this, I would say, in terms of the exploration of family dynamics and the heart to it. And Steve Carell's character is fairly similar as well. He's quite plays a broken guy in need of fixing and kind of finds that through his family. But there's a, an amazing, um, amazing dance sequence 
uh, w- during a, a, a little Miss America pageant uh, to Rick James's Super Freak, and it is incredible. It's just it's hilarious. You again, it's another one. You sit there, you'll cringe a bit, but you'll laugh all the way through it. Um, right, fine wine and war crime. Um, I think, like you know, it's a common theme with films of this era. There's a lack of diversity within the film, but what I would say is, in in like defense of that, I guess it's a very small film. It's a very small cast. It's a very small community. It's, it's primarily all set in the family home, you know. Um, so, you know, I I I, I think it's probably less of a thing if you like if that's even the way to put it you know what i mean but so so the the budget on this this is an interesting one the budget on this was 25 million dollars and it made 17 million at the box office i'm trying to think sort of at the time that feels quite small and i wonder like like you say it's kind of because it's a family setup I wonder whether it is just a case of there quite literally wasn't a huge amount of wiggle room to go and to go and actually make this a bigger production. Like they, they sort of will have done it quite quickly, will have done it over a short period of time. I mean, it's commercially it's it's out before it's what three x its budgets has done very well. But I do wonder whether that's quite limiting. You know what you're getting yeah. yourself in for. Um, but yeah, the other, I suppose the other thing that you kind of is, I'm very aware that it, you and I are sitting here being that like this could be our family equally. It could be a lot, the, the polar opposite for a lot of people sitting there watching being like, this is mental. Like, what are you talking about? My family is nothing like that. That this is sort of flies in the face of what my family does. We're quite fractured and broken. And, and this is, the, the, I wrote on the kind of running order, this is a, a criticism often of Richard Curtis that he presents the the Kensington Knightsbridge version of mm. living in England as opposed to the real authentic version of what it's like to live in central London, which is paying an obscene amount of rent, barely able to make ends meet and literally getting to the end of the month and thinking we've got to make the move to green and white label. Yeah. Um, whereas this is this kind of, I I think my, my kind of thing with this is you just suspend reality for a bit and you just kind of enjoy it. It is like we said, it's a bit of a hug, isn't it? Yeah, it, it feels. I nice. think that's it. I think you know because I do get that stuff, but at the same time, like not every film needs to show a dysfunctional family. You know, like it yeah. it, it doesn't have to. Some films can just be a bubble away from that type of thing. There's plenty of films that deal with that subject matter. And I think to try and shoehorn it into something like this, which is already dealing with a subject of grief in the way that it is, I think I think it gets a pass, personally, yeah, in my I opinion, agree. for that. But, I agree. Um, yeah. Who's your MVP? Come on. There's only one man, man for it, right? Just phenomenal. Yeah. And and so that leads me neatly on to, to uh, IMD Ball for this week. Now, because there wasn't a huge amount of option here in terms of going very clearly down a path, I've instead got a little bit of a challenge for you. Oh. Because I did Gone in 60 Seconds today, I'm going to challenge you to name as many Steve Carell films in 30 seconds as you can. And we'll set a bit of a bar. We can put it on social media 
and we can see if anyone can beat it in 30 seconds. So Purdy, slightly different music this week. Okay. We're not going to go eat my goal. We'll give you the countdown um, and see in 30 seconds how many you can get. I've put you on the spot now here as well. I'm really yeah. sorry. Suddenly we're going to see what you're like under pressure. Um, are you ready? Yeah. Three, two, one, go. 40-year-old virgin, Bruce Almighty, Evan Almighty, Anchorman, Anchorman 2, Dan in Real Life, um, Crazy Stupid Love, uh, oh god, what was that other thing he was in? Um, 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 Five seconds. Foxcatcher, he was in that oh. film as well. Um, he was in oh, Random One. Um, not Step Brothers, but it was really like Step Brothers. Um, done. Hey, not bad, not bad. So, a couple of what's mad is is when you're under pressure, you don't say the ones that you know already. You named like five films at the top. So we had Forty Year Old Virgin. We had um, we had uh, what would what was the other one? Uh, Little Miss Sunshine. Evan Almighty. No, I didn't do Little Miss Sunshine. Fuck. Yeah. So we had loads of other, it's, it's mad. I didn't do the big short. I didn't do. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, um, you did do Bruce and Evan Almighty. Um, Despicable Me. Get Smart. No, I didn't do Despicable Me. Dinner for Schmucks. Dinner for Schmucks was the one I was thinking of. Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. That was one nah, we spoke about a little bit yeah. earlier on. Um, Date yeah. Night. But Get no, Smart. But, but some uh, uh, th- there's a yeah there's there's a good there's a good sort of benchmark there for people to have a go at. Um, d- would you like to know what we're going to do next week? I very much do, mate. Dim the lights, Purdy, bring the music up. <laughs> okay, so I've actually got an interesting proposition for you. I'm going to give you a little bit of a choice here. Oh. If you take, you can go red pill, and we'll. Uh, We'll actually, sorry, we'll go blue pill and we'll carry on as planned. And I'll give you a great film for next week, and we'll all be delighted. If you take the red pill, I've got a mystery guest for you, and it will tell us exactly where we're going to go with the film because they've already told me what they want to do. Let's go with the mystery guest. You can't, you can't dangle that one in front of me, mate, and then expect me not to go that way. Come on, then, Alice. Let's see how deep the rabbit hole goes. So next week. We will be doing the film Moneyball with special guest Rob Daly. Oi, oi, yeah. So we've got a, a real treat. If you haven't. The voice of Tottenham Hotspur. If you haven't come across Rob Daly, wonderful man. And we've been sort of saying for ages we want to get on the pod. And um, I asked him what film would he like to do, and he wanted to do Moneyball. So. Little bit of guest action next week, and a really, really good film as well. I love Moneyball. I've not watched that yet. I watched it in the cinema, and I haven't watched it since. So there oh, we go, mate. Na- like now, having had the experiences that we've had over the last twenty years or fifteen years, it's really. I think it's going to tickle your pickle. Oh, I look forward <laughs> to it. Uh, at BYOB. Uh, uh, BYOB pod, sorry, on the social channels. Make sure you look out. We'll put the reviews online for uh, for the films that we've been seeing. Some great stuff on there. Get in touch and comment on on YouTube, on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, wherever you X, Apple reviews. Wherever you want to do it. Apple reviews very helpful as well. 
and we'll try and get through some some comments next week as well. Um, it was really, really great actually to do a few at the top. So we'll try and do that again next week. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you all next week with Rob Daly. <laughs>